you had uh, anthropomorphic <laughs> anthropomorphous. Oh my God! Why can't I say that? Okay, Anthrop- the Grim Reaper. That word Alex said. Yes, that word Alex said. Radio Drone. Thursday nights are where you find Joshi I. Hadley. I can't really Italianize my name here. That'll make sense in a minute. We also have Cecil. Maybe he's from Sicily. Maybe he's actually just a retiree from Florida, Trachtenberg. Sure. Not even going to play along. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> Jowski, then go. It's a me, a Jowski. I think it's a Mario. It's an Alex Jowski. It's. Cecil, do the Adam and Eve promo and do it in Italian. Or at least stereotypical Italian. Stereotypical Italian. Uh, manja, manja. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME. Now I'm going Jamaican. You, you Jamaican me think you're not Italian. <laughs> I know. Jesus. This is terrible. I don't think you want to manja anything from a porn shop. <laughs> no. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo just code gave DROME. Up on the Italian thing. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to screw it up if I keep going. Uh, Use the promo code DROME to get 50% off a single item, free shipping in the U.S., three free free DVDs, and a free mystery gift. I got nothing. He's he's got a case of the giggles. Well, tonight we're going to be talking Italian exploitation. What is the one film that you immediately think of when you hear the term Italian exploitation? The first film I go to is, God, it's one of two Bruno Mattei films. Either, oh, God, I can't even remember the name. Strike Commando. Yeah, we'll just say Strike Commando is the one I go to. 2019, after the fall of New York. I got to go to my old standby, The Visitor. There's a strange thing when it comes to Italian exploitation. What it really comes down to is Italian funding with an Italian director, Italian writer, and Italian crew, but usually shot in America with a mostly American cast. So it's kind of strange when we say Italian exploitation, you think that these are Italian films generally, but they tend to not be. Yeah, it is kind of odd because you do think, you know, oh, these are going to be shot in Italy being Italian, you know, exploitation. Because when you think exploitation, it's Australia. Usually Australian made in Australia, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Australian actors, uh, Australian direct, you know, but uh yeah, Ita- uh, Italian exploitation is very much all Italian funding, but shot in the US or shot in France or shot somewhere that is 90% of the time not Italy. Well, they don't want you to know that it's Italian otherwise you wouldn't watch it. Well, there is that because what They're trying that- to trick you into thinking it's an American film. Well, yeah, because they they do that a lot. That's why the director usually uses a pseudonym of, like for The Visitor, Michael J. Paradise. Nice American name. My favorite of those, honestly, is Bruno Mattei's Vincent Dawn. That's an awesome pseudonym, I think. They often rope um, so many American actors into these films. For instance, like 
Diodato's Raiders of Atlantis is an almost all-American cast shot in Florida. takes place in Miami as well. Well, and Atlantis, but you can't shoot in Atlantis. They have really strict Chamber of Commerce issues. You have ones like that. You, the Visitor was shot in Georgia. Troll 2 was shot in America. So was Troll 3, I think. Cannibal Apocalypse was shot in, I think, Atlanta. For whatever reason, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was this huge influx of Italian money into America. And when we say Italian exploitation, generally, the way it goes is they tend to be rip-offs more than anything else. Not always, but they tend to be aping some American blockbuster or some larger budget American hit. What is your favorite of those, uh, of those clear rip-offs? Basically anything Joe D'Amato did that was a rip-off, because he did a lot that weren't rip-offs, but like everything Emmanuel blank, Emmanuel in America probably the best, which was actually ripping off the French film Emmanuel, which was popular in America, or 2020 Texas Gladiators, which rips off the whole post-apocalyptic Road Warrior thing. Uh, I got to go back to uh, Sergio Martino's 2019 After the Fall of New York, which takes quite a few liberties with uh, Escape from New York. Throws in a little bit of Road Warrior for stylistic purposes, too. Absolutely. I mean, borrows a little bit here, a little bit there, but I'd say a good chunk of it is uh, Escape from New York. But it does end up kind of, even though it is a ripoff, it does have its own flavor. So it doesn't feel as shameless as some of them. But uh, it is a, it is a favorite of mine. You, you brought up Shameless. What is it about the American actors that get roped into these? Usually, what happens is they're a lower echelon actor. They're what we would call a B movie actor. Someone like John Saxon or whatnot did these, did a bunch of these, and so did Robert Vaughn and people like that. But then you've got ones like John Huston has been in a couple of these. You sometimes see real A-list actors in these, and you just kind of wonder, this thing had a total budget of a half million dollars. How did they get a multiple Oscar winner, not even on the lower slide of his career, into these things? What was it about the production of these that made them, I I, I don't want to say bulletproof, but almost fail-proof? They cost just so little money. And if they would get enough prints out there to the drive-in theaters, to the, the tiny theaters and whatnot, could almost always guarantee to get their money back because there was so little put into them. And a lot of them, they would shoot uh, like side-by-side productions like uh, Zombie, uh, the Fulci movie, was being shot at the same time as uh, Dr. Butcher, MD, had an alternate title. I think it was Cannibal Ferox, I know, regardless. They shot a lot the movie they shot a lot of the movie at the same time, so they were saving money that way, where there was a scene in uh, zombie where there's this church burning down, and from one angle they're filming zombie, but from the other angle they're filming Dr. Butcher. <laughs> and so it's just a way of really shooting these things on the cheap, cranking them out as fast as possible and getting them into theaters one after the other and making their money back so they can just spitball that into the next production. As fast as possible is the good way to put it, because these things usually had a turnaround time of about five weeks. They'd finish shooting, and five weeks later, the film would already be in drive-ins and on 42nd Street. 
that is something you could never do today. Well, also, they didn't shoot with sound, so they could be shooting multiple movies right next to each other at the same time. Because yeah, because they, they had those large-ass cameras that, according to Fred Williamson, sound like a washing machine right next to you. Yeah, and so they there would be people building the set on the set, so they would be moving as fast as possible with as many films. And with retitling them left and right, they would the same movie would play at the same theater maybe twice because it came out under a different title, and people would buy two tickets for the same movie. It was a fantastic machine. Well, and also... They got a lot of tax breaks at that point. That was one of the things when America was trying to get foreign investors for the film business. So they were very happy to have these Italian productions come over and shoot in major American cities. What they didn't realize was the Italians tended to bring over their own crews. What they thought with these tax breaks, what would happen would be, a Lucio Fulci is going to come over here or a Diodato is going to come over here and they're going to shoot their movie in Atlanta or whatever, and they're going to hire local Atlanta crews. And that didn't happen. So that's why after about 1984, these tended to go away really fast. Did you guys notice how after about 84, 85, the Italian productions shot in America dried up almost overnight? I noticed there's not many after that year. It's not like I was really paying attention to the film scene when I was four or five years old, but I've paid attention to the dates on movies I watch nowadays. And, and yeah, you'll notice that the dates are generally before 85 for those kind of movies because that's when they got rid of the tax credit when they said, kind of wanted you to hire Americans on this. That was the point of the tax credit pricks. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the lower budget movies will jump around because of tax credits or because they find they can shoot it cheaper somewhere. Like a lot of uh, the Italian productions, after they lost the tax credit and weren't able to shoot in the U.S. anymore, uh, many of them moved to the Philippines and were shooting their stuff out there. And they were benefiting from the fact that they could use a lot of the locals uh, as just cheap labor who, uh, you know, they didn't have a card or whatever, so they could uh, go set them on fire for their stunts. And they could enjoy the really, really nice locations. So it actually added to the production of the film. You could have this beautiful location that normally would cost a fortune to have. But here in the Philippines, bah, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So, yeah, I think that that's where a lot of the studio you know, productions went after, you know, they lost their tax cut. Well, and another thing about Italian exploitation, you, you tended to find, and, I, and this is not across the board, so I'm not being completely 100% on this, but they tended to value quality less than quantity. It was get it out. It doesn't matter if that effect looks bad. It doesn't even matter if the actors blew their lines. We're dubbing them anyway. Just get it out. Do you think that hurt the low-budget film industry as a whole, that Italian exploitation didn't exactly help American independent film? I don't think it hurt American independent film at all. In fact, it gave American independent film something to work with to say, hey, everybody saw this movie and we're better. It motivated people to do better than that. Yeah, it didn't hurt it, because that's like saying that the asylum is hurting Hollywood. It's just, 
uh, people, they, they see something, it's a low-budget movie, and they're, oh, this is a crappy low-budget film, and they either just brush it off and forget about it, or if they're somebody like us, they watch them and kind of enjoy them for what they are. Uh, they they yeah, like the fact... I think anybody seriously looked at Italian film has, this is what everything is going to be. This is a sign of the times. In general, I think that people could tell the difference between something that is is a larger budget production and has uh, actors they recognize and whatnot versus something like Porno Holocaust, where they're like, okay, this is going to be just a crappy, low-budget, cornball movie. Well, and then what, what tended to happen was the Italian films, even the ones shot in America but ones shot outside of America, would come over here and then just be savaged by the MPAA because their distributors would still demand a rating. And so half the time, we would get a butchered version of a film that was shot here for the American audience. Well, when has the MPAA ever made any sense? They don't have any kind of setup thing where, okay, well, this is how things should be rated. They go on a case-by-case basis, and they have uh, this weird thing where uh, lower-budget films are much harsher rated than bigger budget films and they just completely screw things up. So I think it's ridiculous that the majority of films that obviously are not even remotely intended for children get savagely rated the way that they do. Yeah, the MPAA is not a business, so they're not going to do anything that a business needs. Cutting down or giving a movie a rating regardless is actually it doesn't make sense from the outside but it makes perfect sense to the mpaa this is the stuff they do this is why we all hate them but i mean you know you've got movies like the beyond and gates of hell slash city of the living dead that it took year. i mean it took till the 90s till most of us saw these in their completed form because the mpaa just savaged them and then you've got other ones that seem to have gotten through all right because th- there's a certain brutality that the Italian films tended to have, whether it be the actual killing of animals, which I don't condone in any way, or just brutal-ass, hard-to-sit-through stuff, like the eyeball scene in Zombie. It is midnight on a tropical island. A beautiful young girl's long hair streams against the coral reef. Her beautiful body is caressed by the tide. Suddenly, a decayed hand rises up and blood-drenched jaws move to bite her. The living dead walk again. They are decaying. They are missing from their graves. They live and hunger for your flesh. There is no place you can hide. Zombie, you are what they eat. No one under 17 will be admitted. Did that affect either of you? I mean, were you able to watch that without needing to turn away at least once? Yeah, but then again, I was an adult when I watched those movies. I didn't watch them when they came out. I saw that when I was 15, so yes, I was a very different person when I first saw the eyeball scene. Uh, I've always had this thing with eyes where seeing anything done to an eyeball always freaks me out. And I don't remember. So then, how, how have you young... ever watched a Fulci film? He does that to all of them. 
I know. I didn't say that. He's I got don't an cringe. eyeball fetish. He does. Yeah, absolutely. I don't remember how young I was when I saw Zombie. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was too young to be watching it. But uh, that wasn't what I mean. I already had a, a, like ugh, eyeball a phobia or whatever. Shark is why you watched that one, wasn't it? Oh, it was awesome. Well, I, I got I watched it because I had heard that this was the like greatest zombie movie ever. And so I was all right. Yeah, sure. You know, and uh, watched it. I think I might have been like 13. And uh, oh, it was awesome. Uh, the, the the zombies were so creepy. And it's still I think it's a fantastic movie. But yeah, that eyeball scene, that's right up there with uh, Thriller, A Cruel Picture, where it's just, you just cringe. Oh, how are they doing that? Oh, God, it just goes very slowly and just punctures the eye, and ugh, so brutal. Well, and the, you, you have other ones. Like, I remember there was a scene in Cannibal Apocalypse, a.k.a. Invasion of the Flesh Hunters, where John Saxon, as he's slowly turning into a cannibal against his will, bites this woman's belly button out, and I just went, ah, f- damn it! not not as much it's it's kind of uh mostly just stuff that happens to eyes and every now and then something will make me cringe you see somebody you know get like a nipple ripped off or just something weird that you don't see very often the and you just kind of oh i see things happening to fingernails that's what makes my skin crawl I, stuff, i'm stuff the same way fingernails like, ouch oh, yeah i'm the same way man but then, along with that brutality, that kind of became what the Italians were known for, even if it was undeserved. Because you had movies like Cannibal Ferox, Cannibal Apocalypse, Zombie, Cannibal, or Invasion of the Flesh Hunters, a.k.a. Cannibal Apocalypse. You, you, you had all of these films, and then it kind of became what they were known for. I mean, Gates of Hell has a woman vomiting up all of her own intestines and a maggot storm. Uh, along with the normal guys getting drilled through the skull and stabbed and hung and all that. But a lot of these movies, I mean, Jowski, we've done some on Live Nude Geeks. Like, we did that that Massacre Time Fulci Western. There was hardly any gore in that. And we were like, Lucio Fulci, right? The same guy that did Zombie? Yeah, that that is an amazingly awesome good movie, though. Right, I'm not talking about the quality of the film. I mean... There was almost no gore in that, and when when you see Lucio Fulci directed a western, you're especially one called Massacre Time, you you're expecting a western gore fest, aren't you? Yeah, you're expecting blood all over the place. And we didn't get that. And sometimes some of these directors they'd become known for one genre, like Diodato is known for cannibal movies, but he's done a lot more. He's done sci-fi movies. He's done westerns. He's done dramas. He's done serial killer films. Why do you think, especially within Italian exploitation, a director's name immediately conjures up one genre and that's it? Like if I say Lugio Cusi, it doesn't matter how many other non-Star Wars films he's done, Star Crash is immediately where you go to, isn't it? Well, no, that's not even just with Italian directors. It's just whatever that director did that was most notable, that's what they're known for. Diesel pointed out recently, M. Night Shyamalan? Less than half of his movies have a twist ending, but what's he known for? Oh, that guy does twist endings. Fulci, the most profound movies he did were the ones with gore, so he's immediately associated with gore, regardless of how many movies he has that are gore-free. 
Because, I mean, you've got Conquest, which is a barbarian film and set in a fantasy world. You've got the new Gladiators, where he's t- it's a sci-fi reality show's gone wild running man knockoff. And you just think, wait, the same Lucio Fulci? The same guy who made New York Ripper? Well, I mean, it's like a lot of uh, a lot of directors just do have a variety to what they do. So it should make sense that uh, a director is going to have a large catalog, especially somebody uh, who's going to be doing lower budget films like these, where they're cranking them out as fast as possible. They're going to have a whole variety of different genres that they cover. There's going to be the ones that they're known for, but then there are just the other ones that they did that maybe they didn't take off or or just aren't as well known, or they did them under a uh, a fake name. It's just, I I, I know that... um, you do think of certain things with certain directors, but I, I don't know. I don't think that uh, I don't see why you, you should be so surprised when you find out that they've done something else. Well, and then the other thing is, along with the, because they're so known for the knockoffs, even even there are movies that aren't knockoffs of a specific film tend to have knockoffs of certain scenes from other specific films. But then you've also got the let's try and fool people into thinking we made a sequel to a big-budget American movie. You've got the famous example, Bruno Matai's Terminator 2. Yes, it's more commonly known as Shocking Dark, but it was called Terminator 2 three years before James Cameron made Terminator 2. And the funniest part about that? It's a ripoff of Aliens, not even of Terminator. Yes, there's a Terminator guy in it, but the bulk of the movie is a ripoff of Aliens. The fake sequels thing... Well, you got to approach those movies knowing that it's not a sequel to it at all. But a lot of people have been fooled. You cannot deny that on a video box and you see Terminator 2 with a very Terminator-looking cover three years before the real Terminator 2, a lot of people get fooled when they see Evil Dead 4, when they see Alien 2, and there's not an actual one of those. It Doesn't that kind of do what they intended it to do, fool you? I guess. I've never known that anybody that was actually fooled into seeing Alien 2 on Earth without knowing what it was. At the time, I could see it being manipulative and perhaps cruel, um, but nowadays, you look back on it and nobody's going to watch Terminator 2 and think it's Terminator 2. How about uh, Jaws 5? Cruel Jaws! Cruel Jaws! The one that always bad as Jaws Four is, I don't think anybody's going to want to watch Jaws Five, regardless. (laughs) Jaws Five is better. It really is. It seriously is. The shark doesn't roar, at least. No, Uh, but when the Italians go hunting the shark with shotguns, just go go with it, okay? When the Italians go hunting the shark with shotguns, it uses the Miami Vice theme because why not? It's ripping off everything else. They might as well rip off Miami Vice too. The one thing that always cracked me up was the that it was oh, I just totally forgot Troll Three, Troll Which Two, Troll Three. Well, that's a, well Troll Three um, Crawlers. Because there's also Cro- Troll Three, aka Quest for the Mighty Sword, which is an unofficial Ator movie. The the Creepers one and the Ator one, all both Joe D'Amato films. Didn't D'Amato mm-hmm. actually produce term, uh, Troll Two as well? I, I know Fragasso yeah, he- directed it, but. I thought D'Amato produced that. He produced it. It was done through Film Mirage. And in fact, Laura Gemser did the costumes on Troll 2. I just think it's funny that 
of all the like I understand them trying to follow up the Terminator and trying to follow up Alien and, and Jaws and these big hits, but for them to do a fake sequel to Troll is just ridiculous because you don't see somebody being like, "Oh, great, a Troll sequel." Fair enough. Well, except for maybe me and Brad Jones and Brad, yeah. Or when they did a uh, Patrick Lives. Patrick Lives was a strange the sequel one. to Patrick. Yeah. An Italian-made sequel to an Australian-made horror film that has no connection at all. And you have to remember, like in the like in the Troll 2 thing, Patrick wasn't even a big hit. So Jowski's right. It's one of those, that was weird moments. Well, Patrick Lives is literally, that is a movie that had a very, very similar story to Patrick. So they just retitled it as a sequel. I swear that movie had to have been shot under a completely different title. They weren't intending to make a Patrick Lives or a Patrick 2, but when they said, hey, it's close enough, let's just pretend it's a sequel. Because you've got a lot of those. You've got you've got Evil Dead 4, you've got Terminator 2, and you've got these other ones where they aren't trying to trick you into thinking it's a sequel, but they're trying to trick you into thinking that it's something else. Where It's a movie that is such a blatant ripoff. Bruno Mattei's Robo War. Robo War is Predator if the Predator were a robot. It's got all of the same scenes, all of the same setup. They changed just enough to not get sued. Why do you think we as filmgoers were so, at the time, now we always love those, but at the time, why do you think we were so easy to forgive that? Why do you think that stood? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess because it was at a time where... It was, I don't want to say innocent, but you you knew going in what it was. Like, you looked at the box and, and, and you could tell right away, all right, this is not, you know, a big budget uh, version of whatever film. Uh, this this is obviously a knockoff. For, or and, and you kind of enjoyed it for being low budget and, and silly and just entertaining. Uh, I think now with so many knockoffs is the fact that they put a ton of money into them. They're much more they're much more sneaky about trying to be like, oh no, this isn't a ripoff, this is a, a reimagination or something. I I and, think that might go to back in the eighties, things were a little less litigious. Unless you come into a situation like Castellini's Great White, where Universal successfully sued them, nine times out of ten, the film you're ripping off, they don't care. Yeah, they didn't care because the other thing, too, is uh, as far as they were concerned back then, usually they made all their money in the theater. And then once it was out of theaters, eh, whatever, you know, it just kind of they weren't really forward thinking enough to, you know, they were going to make their money back on home video and cable and all that. So when you had somebody come along and do a knockoff. They weren't looking at it as hurting the brand and having to go into lawsuits over it and whatnot because they figured most people were probably going to watch this, forget about it. And then if they did decide to do a sequel, then theater goers were still going to go see that. They weren't going to be put off by, well, uh, I, I was going to go see Terminator 2, but I already saw another version of Terminator 2 and it was terrible. And that's what you actually you get today because at that time, yeah, the original product had had its peak and was out of fashion by the time the knockoff came out but nowadays you have asylum and other companies releasing their knockoffs the week before even 
of the other thing. Like, I know Android Cop came out a good week before RoboCop. And sometimes those do fool people. I know I was at a video store when Alien vs. Hunter came out, and they copied the Alien vs. Predator Requiem poster so closely that it did fool people into thinking that Alien vs. Predator Requiem was a direct-to-video movie and that this was it. I know a lot of people got pissed at the asylum for that. So I think you're right, Alex. There's a difference in the market between the 80s and today when it comes to this stuff. You've got these certain names that, that we keep bringing up. For those who are unfamiliar with Italian exploitation, let's look at some of the bigger names in, the, in this subgenre. Jowski, why don't you start us off, since you have a show called The Cult of Joe D'Amato. Tell us a little bit about, about why Joe D'Amato is special to you. Joe D'Amato made very fun exploitation flicks. He did do a lot of rip-offs, and mostly he's known for porn. Um, he did the Ator movies, which were rip-offs of Conan. As I mentioned earlier in the show, he did all those Black Emmanuel movies, also with Bruno Mattei at points, which were ripping off the French Emmanuel films. He did a couple post-apocalyptic Road Warrior rip-offs. A lot of the times what he would do is he would just re-edit what remained of another movie to cash it in. Like, he was director of photography. He was Godfrey Hoeing. Yeah, he, he was the director of photography on the second unit for Roger Corman's The Arena, and D'Amato took all of the extra footage that wasn't used in the movie and cut that together to make a completely different movie. D'Amato was actually very early on in his career when he was mostly doing DP work for other people for just cutting movies made from whatever was left over from that particular movie. All of his westerns that he did were just cobbled together from, well, this was left over from a western I worked on. That, that's very Ed Woodish. Yes, very. And it's upsetting the buffalo. I, I, I just absolutely need more shots of the military. <laughs> yes, there you go. The other thing I wanted to say about D'Amato, though, is he does have a lot of familiar themes of voyeurism. That was a huge thing with him. And, and even in his ripoff movies, which you'd think would, wouldn't be like his, his passionate, important pieces, even his ripoffs, they have the same themes that his regular movies do. A lot of voyeurism. D'Amato had a bunch of really good, well, <laughs> good for the good exploitation. Yeah, good, quote-unquote, movies. Uh, you had Beyond the Darkness. Uh, you had uh, Anthropomorphous. <laughs> Anthropomorphous. Oh, my God. Why can't I say that? Okay, Anthrop- the Grim Reaper. That word Alex said. Yes, that word Alex said. Endgame, Blade Master. Just cool low-budget movies that were borrowing liberally from things all over the place. But there was a certain flair to them. They had good music. There was a lot of talent there. It's just that they were done so quickly and so cheaply that a lot of times they just didn't get the recognition that they really should have. But um, I did, I do enjoy a lot of his stuff. Um, I'm more, uh, I'm more in the, the camp of uh, Fulci and uh, Matai but uh, I do really enjoy D'Amato's work. Yeah, see, I, I don't have anything against D'Amato's work in this genre. He's just not one of my favorites. I I much more lean to one we haven't even brought up tonight, and that is Dario Argento. So I think Argento's movies, I think Argento does the exact opposite of what a lot of the Italian exploitation directors do. You mean did. Dario Argento did not age like wine. 
No, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Okay, his the movies of his prime, let's put it that way. But what he did was most Italian exploitation would be straight-out exploitation or they would be so front-loaded with dialogue and or ridiculous action, you, you had a hard time going, wait, how did that just – how did they get there? What What is going on? Whereas Argento's movies were more about mood and tone, and he used lighting in such brilliant ways that his his movies were less about the storytelling and more about what you took away from the experience, which was kind of rare in Italian exploitation, wasn't it? Italian exploitation was more about constant, well, to use a, the porno term, it was about constant money shots. It was about constantly stunning the audience and giving them all the action they wanted and entertaining them for that 70 to 80 minutes, or at least attempting to entertain them. Dario Argento at the time was more about setting a mood and creating a lasting impression with his movies. Absolutely. Uh, When you look at something like Suspiria or Phenomena, they are beautiful movies. There is an incredible Phenomena uses lighting just in a gorgeous manner. And that's a gross as hell movie because it's about bugs. Oh, that's my other thing. Bugs. Bugs and eyeballs. And then you you have a movie where there's bugs going into eyeballs. Oh, oh and, and, no. But but also in Phenomena, you have that cop breaking his own thumb off so he can get out of the handcuffs. Ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, just rough. But uh, yeah, the, his, his movies are beautiful. And uh, for the most part, uh, a lot of his uh, earlier Giallo work, uh, I, I thought, I mean, it was confusing when I was a kid trying to watch it. It made a little more sense now after I've seen it a few you times. You also have to remember you were also seeing the American cut to hell versions as well. Exactly. You know, we're seeing the, the slashed and dashed version, you know, where it's they're cutting out just huge chunks. Phenomena was reason. missing 28 minutes oh, for its American re- cut as creepers. Reprehensible. It's just ridiculous. The fact that they would they just do that kind of nonsense. He... He will always, even in his newer stuff, that is not nearly as good as his older stuff. It's it's a shame. I don't know what I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he's just like lost the lost the will to do it, or or he's just going along because he feels he has I to. I think he just got old. He just got old, you know, and and he he's still there. Oh, it's Argento. We can maybe try to get one more good movie out of him, and it's just not happening. It's a shame. But this is also a thing when when you direct a movie where you're directing your daughter being butt by two guys. That that says something about you as a director, and I'm not sure it's positive. You know, that's well, I mean, that's a movie I would never direct. Well, I, I think that uh, that's that's another thing. Uh, he he he's given us some great movies, and he's given us Asia Argento. So. Yeah, we have to at least thank him for that. Well, and then, like, with Argento, his stories, like I said, his movies were more about mood than story, and they, therefore they were usually lacking in story and characters. And then you have other ones, like Fulci. I, I believe it was the cinema snob, Brad, Brad Jones brought it up in the cinema snob movie. You can tell exactly what kind of a genre fan you are. Are you an Argento man, or are you a Fulci man? I'm both. I, I swing more towards Argento, but I think Fulci, no one can try and tell me that The Beyond is not one of the most gorgeous Italian films ever made. Fulci had it in him when he had it in him. And then he went and made movies like New York Ripper, which is just sleaze for the sake of sleaze. So you, you, you kind of you have... Where do you fall on this, Alex? Fulci or Argento? Fulci. 
he had a lot more staying power. Um, he continued consistently to make great films. Dario Argento, more art housey type of films for a while, and some really beautiful horror films that were atmospheric over gore. But then he turned to just making shit. So Fulci had the staying power. He had commitment to filmmaking. Argento, not so much. So I side with Fulci. What about Italian exploitation directors that that never really overcame? Like they blew their wad too fast. Like Diodato. Diodato made Cannibal Holocaust. And after that, he was constantly compared to Cannibal Holocaust. Didn't matter how good or bad the movie was. It was, well, it's not as good as Cannibal Holocaust. Do you think in the case of Diodato, he blew his load too too early? Well, uh, that kind of goes to almost any director. Uh, you have uh, somebody who comes along that uh, they do an amazing movie close to the beginning of their career. And if they don't have a follow-up that is as good or uh, better than that, then a lot of people are like, oh, it was just a one-hit wonder, where it's like, well, maybe you should let them make a few more to, to see uh, if they really were just a one-trick pony and got lucky, or if maybe that first one was so good. Because it's a like it's like a lot of musicians. You know, you have your whole life to make that first album. And then after that, you have to kind of follow it up with something. So I think in, in that case, you know, he did have an amazing outing and has had consistent movies after that. But, you know, I, I think that it was a lot of expectations were put on it. And uh, it's just there was it never got beyond uh, people looking past that first movie that he did. Well, yeah, because in the case of Diodato, you look at 1980 with Cannibal Holocaust. And then a lot of people grew up on 1985's Cut and Run, which is the unofficial sequel to Cannibal Holocaust. And they don't realize a lot of people are like, oh, he did this movie, and then five years later he did this movie. He made seven films in the five years between that that no one seems to give a crap about. But they're just as good to me. Diodato didn't really blow his load too early. I think he just – his first film was so prolific that that's the one he's going to be remembered for. Regardless of what he does after, because Cannibal Holocaust was just that profound. Or, or you've got people like Bruno Mattai. Bruno Mattai is known, I mean, he has made movies that are not ripoffs. But let's face it, does anyone know any of his movies that are not ripoffs? Does that say more about the filmmaker or about the audience? That Bruno Mattai is always going to be known as, oh, this is that guy that made the ripoff of. Rambo 2. This is the guy that made that ripoff of Aliens. This is the guy that made that ripoff of whatever, when in fact he had more than that. Do you think that just for the sake of working, him taking those jobs, they hurt his career in general in the case of Bruno Mattai? I don't know. I think that um, the the Italian exploitation genre it was it, it, he was going to get hurt regardless. So at least he was doing films and continued to get work. Uh, if he tried to do movies that were uh, original and unique and whatnot, they had such a smaller audience for those that it probably would have dried up and he probably would have stopped making films altogether. Whereas the uh, ripoffs and uh, were the things that people were seeing and that most people recognize him for and is what kind of kept him going. Him making ripoffs when ripoffs were popular and the fact that he made really good ripoffs helped his career by giving him more stuff to rip off that they're like, well, we want to rip off this. Well, get that Bruno Mattei guy. He does awesome work at ripping off. 
and because he's, he's fast, he's cheap, and he does you know a relative good level of quality. Yeah, and because he had made such good ripoffs, when those started to fall out of fashion, he still had a portfolio of quality work. Well, and now before we wrap up tonight, let's also talk about how there were certain subgenres that were just so popular within Italian exploitation. Alien ripoff. I uh, gotta go with Shocking Dark. I gotta go with Alien Two on Earth. Contamination, aka alien contamination. Then we move on to Cecil. You're gonna have to pare it down. Road Warrior knockoff. You're gonna have to just pick one. Well, instead of saying 2019 again, uh, I'll go with Hands of Steel. 2020 Texas Gladiators. I gotta go with the standby Warriors of the Wasteland for saying gay subtext. We don't know what subtext is. Star Wars ripoff. Star Odyssey. Ah, the two suicidal duck robots. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I just want to watch that again. So goofy. Robot boxing. War of the Planets. See, that one I'm not sure if I'm familiar with. Because my pick is going to be Star Crash. Caroline Monroe, Joe Spinell with the funny hair. You've got David Hasselhoff and Christopher Plummer clearly just needing the money and not giving a f- about anything and Lugio Kuji's classic and then that one's even got an unofficial sequel Escape from Galaxy 3 is an unofficial sequel to that why don't we go to probably what they are most known for zombie ripoff or Dawn of the Dead ripoff specifically uh, I can't not say zombie that just that that for me is one of the, the high watermarks in zombie films that Anthropophagus was a zombie film uh, you might be stretching that all right, then Erotic Nights of the Living Dead. Okay, that one you get. But Which again was Joe D'Amato. I, 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 gotta, I gotta go with Cecil. Unless I'm gonna just, just to try and screw with everybody, say Porno Holocaust, you know, Zombie that Shoots Radioactive. And it's also a total piece of crap. Right, but I gotta go Zombie because there's a reason Fulci's film is as well known as it is. Oh, no, no, no. I'm gonna go out of the box here. The Beyond. The Beyond is a zombie movie. Yeah, technically it is a zombie movie. So uh, my pick is not going to be zombie. It's going to be Fulci's The Beyond. Serial killer. Uh, New York Ripper. Absurd, a.k.a. Anthropophagus 2. I'm noticing a theme here, Alex. Hey, if I can if I can show my love for D'Amato and be a fanboy, I'll do it. I, I This one, I, I'm on a side with Cecil. It'll be New York Ripper. That movie is hard as hell to sit through. It's both a good thing and a bad thing. So what would you say your favorite Italian exploitation movie is that's not part of one of those genres? Oof. Um, yeesh. I'm trying to think of a, a movie that's not in that uh, in one of those. Because, um, I mean, there are other favorites of mine that I have, but uh, they all kind of fall within one of those. How about you know what? I am gonna go a little out here and say, uh, God forgives, I don't. I'm gonna have to go with Joe D'Amato's Caligula, the Untold Story, which is an obvious ripoff sequel of Caligula, but it is just glorious film. There's horse rape in it. Now, is that people raping a horse or horse a horse raping a people? No, it's a fat chick getting fucked by a horse. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with what I was talking about with Argento before. Phenomena is an absolutely beautiful film, and I mean, I, I guess you could technically call it kind of a carry ripoff, which there was a subgenre of that, but it was only like three or four films 
that are really notable in that, so I don't really count that as a subgenre, but you've got Jennifer the Snake Goddess, which is a straight-out Carrie ripoff. I, I'm going to say Phenomena because Carrie exploitation wasn't a full subgenre. If you had to talk to our younger listeners, didn't grow up on these films, who might not see past their faults, why would you tell them they need to be they need to give Italian exploitation, 80s Italian exploitation, a chance. For the historical context, I mean, they are entertaining movies, so I would recommend them just on that alone, that they're entertaining. But if you want more than just entertainment, there's a lot of historical contents that the movies are very reflective of theaters at the time and what, you know, movies were trying to do. Uh, if if you go back and you look at uh, Fulci's movies and Argento's movies, they are well-constructed, beautiful-looking films. It's a shame that um, now we're getting so many movies that are just overloaded with CGI, and instead of trying to... Instead of trying to work around the way that they didn't have quite the budget and they didn't have the money to do certain things, they now have the money to where they can do almost anything, and yet they're putting so little into uh, into plot, into characters, into script, and dumping everything into CGI. So you're getting these movies that look gorgeous but are hollow, whereas these older movies there's a, there's a certain charm to them and you're kind of willing to look past a lot of the bad effects and a lot of the bad edits and sound problems and whatnot because they just have so much heart and they're often just enjoyable you can sit down and watch them and some of them you sit back and you laugh you have a few drinks with your buddies and oh look at that that's so bad but you'll end up enjoying them so much more than a lot of these current, just bland knockoffs that we have today. On that note, you've also got the fact that these were the building blocks. The, the filmmakers of today, unless they're coming from the new Hollywood movement, which is just predates Italian exploitation, they grew up on these. Look at, look at, I hated the film, but... Rob Zombie is very open that Lords of Salem is a throwback to Italian exploitation. And knowing that, you can see in a lot of his shot composition and lighting, he was trying to do that. I don't think he succeeded, but I could see what he was trying to do. These were where the exploitation films of today, where those filmmakers got their ideas. This is where, because Italian exploitation, as weird as this sounds, they had a style to them that felt foreign it felt italian you, you there's no way even with one of the american names a pseudonym that you would look at one of these italian exploitation movies and not go, immediately go this is italian this was made by italians i don't need to see all the vowels at the end of every last name on the crew to know this was italian or am i reaching for that I don't believe you're reaching. Italian films do have a very specific look to them. But you, I mean, even if it was an all-American cast, the way the film looks, it does not look like any American movie. Hell, look at a movie like Tentacles. The most dangerous creature of the sea is not the great white shark or the killer whale. It is the giant octopus. Fact. It may weigh almost eight tons, with tentacles in excess of 100 feet. Fact. Octopi will attack humans, and the results are usually fatal. American International presents Tentacles, starring John Huston, Shelley Winters, Bo Hopkins, Claude Akins, and Henry Fonda. Tentacles, the most gripping suspense you will ever experience. Rated PG, parental guidance. 
Tentacles was made in America with a complete American cast, but an, an Italian crew. And it still somehow doesn't feel American. And I'm saying that in a good way. Absolutely. They have a look that is distinct, uh, much like the, the Spanish films. They, they just have a certain way where you immediately see them and it's just something, something stands out. Something looks different. So absolutely. You can tell that there's something significantly different about them. It was those loud ass cameras. I'm telling you those loud ass cameras and end up giving a much cleaner soundtrack too. since usually the entire soundtrack is dubbed. It makes the soundtrack disturbingly clean. No little background noise, no little buzz of maybe a fly if they're in a room with a bare light bulb or something. It makes them sound strangely artificial, but isn't that kind of the charm? Yes, that is part of the charm and what makes it so unique. So, to wrap up, you guys need to go check out Italian exploitation movies. And I know that's a big genre, but just look at anything from the filmography of Bruno Mattai, Claudio Fragasso, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento. There, there's a list that I could just keep listing on and on. Like there's Diodatos and all this. But just go and look up these late 70s, early 80s Italian directors. Look up their filmographies and you'll find some brutally entertaining movies. So, Cecil, where could people find you if, you, if you're going to – I'd appreciate it if you do this in a stereotypical Italian way. Where can people find it, Cecil? Where can people find me? Uh, people can find me on goodbadflicks.com. I keep going into Jamaican, <laughs> and I have Italian in me. People can find me at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. God damn it. Top that, Alex. The same geekatusamedia.com. And I'm not going to try and sound like Mario, so uh, I'm an Italian immigrant who's been here his whole sound life. Sound like Prince okay? of Toadstool, then. <laughs> Geekjuicemedia.com as well as 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Check out the ending of The Beyond, damn it. It's one of the most beautiful freaking endings ever.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.